And uh, the roots are the most important thing. And of course, Jesus talked about roots, didn't he? So, you know, the parable of the sower. That was all about roots. That was all about, you know, whether a, uh, a seed had enough room to actually go deep. And if it went deep enough, it had the chance to survive all the things that life would throw at it. And it's the same for us. We need to be able to go deep into God. And the deeper we go, the more likely we are to keep on thriving and flourishing as Christians. And then uh, in Ephesians 3, Paul says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love. And I want to focus a little bit on love tonight, because you know, one of the most basic things for us all is we are meant to love Jesus. It's kind of like, that's the basic thing, isn't it? You know, if you kind of want to go right back to Sunday school stuff, it's all about loving Jesus. And in fact, we are commanded to love Jesus. And we're commanded to love Jesus with what? All of our hearts, all our souls, yeah. So, just in case you had forgotten, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. That's uh, the one from Matthew. So, with all, with all, with all. Wow, that's that's high bar, isn't it? How are you getting on with that? The old, I mean, loving God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, we can do. That little word, three little, oh man, I look at that and I think, am I doing, am I really loving Jesus with all that I've got? I mean, the, the implication in that is none of us are perfect, that we are growing in it. We should be growing in it. We should be getting close to that point where we can say, yeah, I am loving Jesus with all of my heart. And maybe you'll never, ever get to say that until you get to heaven. We are made perfect, we are sanctified, and you get to see Jesus face to face. Then you can say, yes, I can with all. But right now, we're kind of struggling with it, aren't we? We're kind of just, hopefully, we are growing in it. Hopefully. But I was talking to someone just today who was saying, you know, I've not been to church. I'm just kind of, I just don't know where I am with Jesus. And We all get to that point, don't we? We find ourselves, some days, going, hey! Week after new wine, you go, come on, I love Jesus. And then three weeks after new wine, it's like, oh, where's Jesus now? And you, all your kind of love has just dissipated. So for me, that verse is all about aiming at something and growing into it. Because I, I have not yet met anyone who does the all bit. We should be growing in this. Growing in our love for Jesus. And I want us to think about that. And that all bit, I think, is not necessarily about quantity. I think it's about a quality of love. It's not like you have just a limited supply of love. Have you noticed that? You don't. You can love lots of people. I can love my daughters, and I can love my wife, and I can love my friends, and I can love my parents. The more people that you get deeply connected to, the more people you can love. You don't have a limited supply of love. 
you have an infinite supply of it. But I think there's something about the quality of the love that we need to be able to show to God that is something different. So how do we get to that? How do we grow in our love for Jesus? You know, and one of the things I love about uh, the Bible is just the, the breadth of things that are in the Bible. So you've got, you know, what that, that verse from the Gospels, uh, and then you've got something like the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon as it is in some Bibles. Anyone read that book? Yeah, yeah it's filthy, isn't it? Yeah. I love it. Um, why on earth would anyone want to put that in the Bible? You ever wondered? And we could go on, well, you know, it's, it's kind of, maybe it's about, you know, uh, uh, about how man and woman can love each other deeply and intensely. Well, why would you stick that in Scripture? Well, I think it's more than that. I think it is meant to be in some way a picture of God and us. Of a deeply personal, intimate relationship with one another. That sounds hard, that, doesn't it? And yet I think that's what God wants us to aspire to. A deeply personal, intimate relationship with him. And it's just all done in this incredibly flowery and occasionally slightly pornographic language. When they put the Bible together, they put that there for a reason because they said it was a symbol, it was a metaphor, an allegory of God and his bride, the church, us. And I encourage you, if you've never read it, read it. And don't get too carried away by some of the language, but just read it as almost like a kind of a description of the love that we can have for God and God definitely has for us. It's something to aspire to. How do we get there? Well, I'm going to give you a number of things to think about. How do we grow in our love for Jesus? And I'm going to start here. Know yourself. That seems to be a strange thing, doesn't it? You know? Uh, But actually, the people who are able to love the most generously are the people who are the most kind of content in their own skin. The people who are the happiest about themselves, they seem to have the capacity to love greater. But it's also more than that. Because if we are to love God and to grow in our love for God, we have to first of all understand just how much God loves us because we love because he first loves us. That's what it says in scriptures, doesn't it? And so we need to understand first of all that God loves us and he shows us his love in all sorts of different ways. And I just want to touch on something. How many people know about love languages? A few people. How many don't? That might be easier, just so I know. Okay. So uh, a guy wrote a book called uh, about five love languages. And it's about married couples and how we actually like to receive love in certain ways. And he talks about five different ways in which we can receive love. They are intimacy, uh, receiving gifts, acts of service, words of affirmation, and the giving of time. And cake, yes. I think that comes with gifts, or maybe service. It's probably all five, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's all five, yeah. Uh, And he says, actually, we all have a preference to receive love in one of those. 
uh, or maybe two of those. Now, probably all five we like a little bit, but we have a preference. And so my preference is, because uh, you can do a little test on this, my preference is intimacy and words of affirmation. And so Andrea knows that when she feeds into that, I am actually able to love her more. That's the kind of the premise behind it all. The more you, are, you feel loved by your partner, the more you're able to love that person back. Now, God made you that way. That's not an accident. God made you that way. He made you in a way to receive love in a way that's kind of unique for you. And don't you think he knows that enough in order to be able to love you according to your love language? I could pad this out a little bit if I thought about it a bit more, and I'm not going to because I haven't. Uh, But I think there's something in that, that actually God will speak to you and love on you in your love language. And so for me, if intimacy is my primary way of receiving love, actually when I look at it, the times when I feel most loved by God are in those really close times of really intimate worship, where I actually sense the presence of God with me. And there are the times when I actually feel like God truly loves me. And it'll be entirely unique for you. My other one is words of affirmation. And I know that when I receive prophetic words, that kind of just presses all the right buttons in me and I'm thinking, yay, God loves me. Other things, less so. But some of the things I'm going to talk about now, you'll be able to relate to one of those five things. But the key is knowing yourself. For me, it's actually transformative to know that I have a certain love language and it's helpful when I know that Andrew knows that and she feeds into that. It's about knowing yourself and playing on that, on those strengths, on your uniqueness. And if God created you that way, he's going to speak to you in that way. And I encourage you to reflect on that a little bit. So let's move on. So what, what other ways? I'm going to, the first two I actually touched, touched on last Sunday morning, so I'm not going to say very much about them. But uh, the first one is this, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Romans 5.5, 5, hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And the more God pours out his love into our hearts, the more we feel loved, the more likely we are to grow in our love for Jesus. It is Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit, sorry, who kind of initiates that and sets us on fire. And you'll have seen people, maybe experience yourself, that when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, sometimes for the first time, sometimes at subsequent times, you suddenly feel passionate about Jesus. You'll have experienced that for yourself. And so I would encourage you to keep on praying to receive the Holy Spirit. This is one of those things I just keep repeating. Pray every day to be filled with the Spirit of God. To equip you for all the things that you need to do that day, to empower you to be his witnesses in the world, but so that he may pour out his love into your heart so that you know that you are loved and can then, in return, love him back. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
second one, which I talked about last week as well, which uh, I actually said it was about being still. It was simply about giving time. Simply spending time with Jesus. Makes sense, doesn't it? You don't grow to love someone if you don't spend time with them. You, don't, you can't do it from a distance. You have to spend time with them. You have to be in their presence. You have to kind of shut out some of the other things and just focus. And if you are not giving time to Jesus, how can you expect to grow in your love for him? If you're not spending time in his word and in prayer and all those kind of things, you'll never grow in your love for Jesus. But I would encourage you also to simply spend time just sat with him. Waste time with Jesus. Because actually that's what lovers do, isn't it? Lovers, when they just are just together, they'll do anything as long as they're together. Like that old advert, we just want to be together. You know, you're too young, Tabs. I know, I know. It's a, it is a very old advert. Yeah. And, pardon? Yeah, we want to be together. Um, but spending time, wasting time with Jesus, where you are just knowing his presence, knowing he's there with you, consciously tuning in, is one of those key things that will help you keep on developing your love for Jesus. And in our, and I talked about it last week, in this kind of world in which we live in where we just quickly move from one thing to another, it's becoming harder and harder and harder to do this. I realised uh, a couple of years ago how detrimental using the, my phone and iPad were because I was actually finding it harder and harder to read books. My kind of concentration levels, my focus was kind of shorter than it used to be. When I tried to spend time with God, I'm more easily distracted than I used to be. It's getting harder to do it. So we have to practice this. We have to learn how to do it. We have to learn how to simply be with Jesus, with no agenda, with no plan to simply waste time with him and enjoy his presence. Third thing is this. Remember where you have come from. And I don't mean the route that you've taken here, right? I don't mean that. What I mean is, remember that place that Jesus picked you up out of. For me, that's kind of a bit easier. I became a Christian at 21. For some of you who became Christians when you were younger, it's a little bit harder to do this. But this is about recognising our sinfulness. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've probably become a bit self-righteous by now. But we're all sinners who've fallen short of the glory of God. And we need to understand just how far we were away from God when he met us. And there's a reason for that. There's a story in Luke 7, and you all know the story, where Jesus is in a Pharisee's house. And a woman comes in, 
And this is what happens. She, uh, she breaks open some perfume and washes his feet and cries over them. And the Pharisees are all upset by this. And that Jesus says to Simon, who was the Pharisee whose home he was in, he says, you did not give me any words for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And there in that passage, Jesus kind of contrasts this religious person with this sinner. This woman who was despised and was looked down upon because of the kind of life that she'd led. And he keeps doing this kind of contrast, doesn't he? He says, you did this, but she did that. You didn't do this, but she did. Oh, that's, but this woman. And then on the next one, you did not, but she did. This woman expressed her love for Jesus passionately, outrageously, without any thought of her reputation. And she did it, why? Because her many sins have been forgiven. See, if you think you've never been much of a sinner, then first of all, you're deluding yourself, but also you'll find it hard to love Jesus passionately. You need to take time to reflect on your life without Christ and recognise just how far away you were. You know, when I became a Christian, you know, I wasn't really a bad lad. Compared to some of my mates, they were doing more outrageous things than me. Uh, I was a decent kind of guy, just made a mess of my life. But when I look back and think about my selfishness, and when I look back and think about how uh, arrogant I was about certain aspects of life, when I look back at how I ignored those who were on the margins of life, when I look back and see how I treated some people, then I look back and realise just how far away from God I was and just how far God has brought me. And when you realise that, then I can guarantee that love will start to stir again. When you realise just how far God has brought you, then you realise that he deserves to be loved. Don't get caught in the trap in thinking that you haven't come that far. We all get caught up, don't we, with the stories of, um, you know, the kind of the the people who did terrible things, who were murderers and got saved in prison and all that kind of stuff. And we say, oh, they had bad lives and now look at them. That could never be me. You know, when Jesus looks at your life without him, he doesn't see any difference. He doesn't see any difference at all between you and a mass murderer. We would want to make a difference, wouldn't we? We would think it's like chalk and cheese. You know, like, I'm not like that person. But it's a little bit like when you look at the earth from a distance, from like the moon, all you simply see is a flat disk. That's all you see. It looks, it's all the same. 
When you're here on earth, there's highs and there's lows and all that kind of stuff. And that's what we see. We think, oh, I'm up there. You know, I'm all kind of righteous than that person down there. But what Jesus sees, we're all the same. You need to know how far Jesus has brought you in order to grow in your love for him. In the middle of that story, Jesus tells a parable. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Of course, the answer is the one who owed the most. Realise just how much you owe Jesus. You might not think it was much. You might think your life without God was pretty cool. It was all right. I was a nice guy. But when you examine what you were like without Jesus, you'll realise that what Paul says is true. We were once enemies of God. We were once enemies of God. That's strong language, isn't it? He's not mincing his words. He's not messing around here. Once you were an enemy and now you're a friend. How far have you come? And in remembering how far we've come, we also remember the cost. What it cost Jesus. We sang before, as, as listening to the words and uh, so many of the words of the songs that we sang before kind of chime with what I'm saying. Jesus chose the cross for you and me. Chose the worst form of death for you and me. And we can't simply once a year at Easter, a Good Friday, reflect on what Jesus did for us. It needs to be a constant thing because the cross and the resurrection are so central to what we believe, so central to our faith. And we need to understand that as Jesus hung on the cross, he was going through the worst of things for us. And that needs to stir our love for him. I don't know about you, but when I think about the cross, when I reflect on it, love starts to pick up. When I watch um, the film The Passion, for instance, as I remember what Jesus went through for me, I cannot help but love him. Next thing is this, have one love. That might seem like a, a harsh thing to say. And in some ways, I don't really mean that. What I simply mean is make Jesus your priority. Jesus told a parable, he says, no one can serve two masters, for you will either hate one and love the other, or will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and be enslaved to money. See, if your priorities are all wrong in life, you are always going to struggle to love Jesus as he deserves. And it's fascinating, I think, that, that in this passage and in other passages as well, the words love and serve are interrelated. Because, well, there's lots of things I can say about this, but first of all, uh, any married couples, you need to hear that. The words love and serve are deeply related. See, in Jesus' time, love wasn't simply a feeling, it was a choice. You chose to act like you loved people. 
in a, a, a society where marriages were arranged, where you never met your spouse until you got married, the, the way we think about love is just completely different to that. We've made love highly sexualized. We've made love about who you fancy and all those kind of things. For them, this is the person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. I'm going to choose to love them. And I would choose to love them by serving them. By making them my priority. In the kind of way that we talk about love. In the kind of way that we think about relationships. It's completely different. It's about what we get, not about what we give. It's about how we feel and not about the choices that we make. And so Jesus calls us to make him, to choose to make him our biggest priority, our highest priority above everyone else. He even says that we should hate our mother and our brother and our sister. Of course, he doesn't mean hate. What he means is, by comparison, our love for him should be so much greater that it looks like we don't care about them, even though we do. We cannot choose to have multiple priorities in life. If you want to grow in your love for Jesus, you have to put him first. You have to put him first above everything else. And as you choose to put him first, you are showing that you love him. And as you choose to put them first, all the feelings will follow afterwards. So make sure you only have one love. Make sure you're only serving one master. Make sure that he's your priority. Next one is learn gratitude. Now if your uh, love language is receiving gifts... Uh, it might be, oh, how does that, that's that work out with Jesus? It's not like he's going to give me a nice bottle of perfume tomorrow. But if you learn to recognize all that Jesus has done for you and all he continues to do for you on a daily basis, as you learn to be grateful for all that, you will both feel loved and want to love him back. Because when you start to tally up all the things that God has blessed you with you'll realise just how truly blessed you are because he has given you so much and it's hard for us in this society because you know we, we're surrounded by stuff aren't we you know our houses are full of stuff Andrew and I went shopping yesterday just to get more stuff that we've filled up our house with it's great stuff everywhere And we've sometimes kind of, we take it all for granted. We can just go out to the shops and get whatever we want most of the time. We just take it for granted. And yet you go to any third world country and they live lives that are truly thankful for what they have, no matter how little it is. That's the amazing thing. You know, you go to any church in Africa and you'll see people are truly grateful for all the little things that they have who recognise God in everything. Every little thing they have, they recognise God has given them. And we go around moaning about, oh, I haven't got a decent jumper to wear, even though you've got ten in your 
wardrobe at home. Let me encourage you to spend time daily totting up all the things that God has blessed you with. It could be anything. You know, obviously all the spiritual things like eternal life and forgiveness and all that kind of stuff. But your family, your wealth, maybe even your job, the home that you have, the friends that you have, the life that you're able to live. You are blessed in a way that most people aren't. Here in the West, we, all of us are in the top 1% of the wealthiest people in the world. And yet we act like we're the most deprived. Moaning and complaining about the things that we haven't got. Recognise what Jesus has truly given you. Make a list if you need to. Have a book. Start writing things down. And recognise just how blessed you are. Mark actually mentioned this verse before. James 1. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Who does not change like shifting shadows. But chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. Everything you have, everything you have comes from him. Finally, learning to love others. That's a weird one. If I'm, going to, if I'm to truly grow in my love for Jesus, I'm going to say that you also need to grow in your love for other people because the two go hand in hand. In uh, John, uh, first letter of John, John says this, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And then he goes on to say, you cannot say that you love God but hate your brother. You cannot say that. The two go hand in hand. What is the second commandment? Jesus gave us the first commandment. The second commandment was? He was only asked for one commandment. He gave two. Why? Because they are inseparable. You cannot go around saying you love God and then treat people like rubbish. It just doesn't work. It detracts. It debases your love of God. And by learning to love others, what are you doing? You are recognising God in them. You're recognising the image of God in those people and learning to love Jesus in them. There's a, a woman, and um, I can't remember what uh, city it is in America, but she runs um, uh, kind of a shelter and soup kitchen and every morning she prays the same prayer. Lord, you're going to enter into these, uh, this building today. Help me to love you well. Because she recognises Jesus in sometimes the most unlovely of people. The most unlovable of people. And if you want to grow in your love for Jesus, then I'd encourage you to find people who seem to be unlovable or in some way unlovely and see Jesus in them 
because I can guarantee it will melt your heart. See, it's easy to love those that we love, isn't it? Or even easier to love those who love us. Jesus said that. I tell you, Jesus said, Matthew 5, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If you love those who love you, what rewards will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? Tax collectors, the lowest of the low in Jesus' day, they could, love any, they could love people who love them. But we are called to love everyone and recognise the image of God in everyone. And when you discover the image of God in someone, you will not only grow in your love for them, but you'll grow in your love for Jesus. This God who has created such a multitude of people, such a diverse kind of spectrum of people in this world. And the image of God is in every single one of them. If you want to love Jesus more, love people more. Get alongside people. Rub up against those who are the unlovely. And see Jesus in them. I hope that one of those things has just kind of rang a bell with you about what you need to do in order to grow in your love for Jesus. What I really hope is that you're not, well, I pray this, that you're not sat there thinking, I'm okay in my love for Jesus. Because you're not. Because you've not yet got the three little, the, that three-word, three-letter word, all going on yet. You don't love Jesus with all. None of you do. None of us do. So you cannot settle where you are in your love for Jesus. You need to grow. And is there one of those things that you need to just dwell on and think about and pray about or maybe act on? Is there one of those things there that you, you know the Holy Spirit has just kind of stirred something up as I talked about it? Or maybe there's something else that the Holy Spirit's saying to you about this right now. Let me encourage you to act on it. Because this is foundational for you. This is about getting your roots right. So that you can have a truly healthy Christian walk. A truly healthy relationship with God. Would you like to stand please?